The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. Uh, for anyone who's unaware, my final regular season update to the top 400 prospect rankings went live uh, Tuesday evening. So I'm going to be answering a bunch of questions from you guys, mostly about those. Uh, thought the questions this month were incredible, uh, probably best of the season. So thanks to everyone who sent in a question about uh, this most recent update to the top 400 prospect rankings. Uh, if you want to check those out, rotowire.com slash pod for a trial. Uh, all right, let's start basically at the top. Uh, O's Flows says, seems like an incredibly strong top six and then a big teardrop. Does that ring true to you? That's spot on. Uh, I love the top six. Those are guys I'd be aggressively trying to get my hands on before they make their big league debuts. Um, Jackson Holiday is the clear number one to me. Um, I th- Jackson Churio, pretty clear number two to me, but really, you know, Jackson Churio, Junior Caminero, Jordan Lawler, Wyatt Langford, Dylan Cruz, uh, really could could see those other five after Holiday being in in any order. Uh, but to me, there is, you know, I I don't know if I would say a big teardrop, but it's a, it's a very clear teardrop to me. Like um, I just didn't remotely consider anyone other than those six to be in the top six. Uh, So after that, I think there's another sort of small tier from seven to 13, um, which would be Jackson Merrill, Colt Keith, Jason Dominguez, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, James Wood, Roman Anthony. Um, And then it, it really opens up. uh, So basically from, Noel V. Marte at 14 to Chase DeLauder at 48. Uh, I think that's just one big tier. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think personal preference, um, team need, that type of thing should absolutely factor into how you value those guys. Uh, and this is going to actually apply to several questions I got. Um, I kind of, I wish that there weren't any, uh, up or down arrows showing basically for that whole tier because it's just, it's kind of um, missing the point sort of like, you know, anyone who's in that tier, uh, like if, if you prefer someone I have in the like low forties to someone I've got in the teens, like in the, you know, that type of thing, 
I think you can make a case. I think it's really kind of interesting. It is, there's a clear top tier. I think there's another sort of small tier after that. And then it really kind of flattens out for a while. Uh, Chunky Pinocchi, I think, uh, says, is, is Emmett Sheehan totally off the list? Uh, he graduated uh, 45 plus days on the active roster. Uh, I, I use that. Uh, MLB uses that. I know a lot of prospect rankers just kind of stick to the 50 innings or 130 at bats. I'm really kind of in favor of moving guys off the list as soon as possible. Um, so in the case of Emma Sheehan, he's not eligible. If he were eligible, he would be my number two pitching prospect. Uh, that would be a, an easy call for me to have Sheehan uh, as the number two pitching prospect after Paul Skeens. Uh, John Voghe, it seems you are quite confident in Kyle Hurt of the Dodgers maintaining a starter role. He obviously has strikeout stuff, but struggles with command. Can you expound on why you feel he is a top 100 prospect? And I also had a question from Ryan basically asking if, if Hurt is a uh, poor man's Kyle Harrison or if he's DL Hall. Uh, so Hurt has been the best strikeout pitcher in the minors this season of, of uh, prospect eligible uh, minor league pitchers. Uh, actually, his uh, org mate, the aforementioned Emmett Sheehan's been the best strikeout pitcher in the minors uh, just from a strikeout rate standpoint. But um, so so Hurt is you know he's having success now at AAA. Uh, he is a Dodgers pitching prospect. Um, those factors alone to me. Even if you just said it's a 50-50 chance he makes it as a starter, I think that warrants top 100 consideration because uh, you know, the strikeout upside, the proximity, uh, not only do you trust the Dodgers from a developmental standpoint, but uh, it's just a nice situation to, to be in. You you got a better chance of getting wins if you're with the Dodgers than if you're with uh, most other organizations. Um, so just those factors alone, I think Kyle Hurt belongs in the top 100 discussion. Uh, as to his command and control, um, he's actually he's walked two or fewer batters in all but three outings this year. Uh, there was a seven walk outing that is kind of inflating his walk rate. And I mean, they, they all count, but it's not like there's a bunch of you look at his game log. It's not like there's a bunch of like four walks, five walks, six walks, three walks. Like it's it's pretty steady. There's a, there's a couple of bad outings in there. But, um, you know, I also think the stuff the stuff kind of backs up the results. Kyle hurts quite old. I think he's 25. Um, so that could be a, a knock against him. Um, but I, you know, the stuff to me checks out uh, mid to upper nineties, fastball uh, gets swings and misses on the slider and the changeup. Uh, he's got a nice starters frame. Um, hasn't quite built up, you know, a huge workload yet. Um, but I, I think he's, you know, I'm not, 100% confident he'll be a starter, but I'm, I don't know, 67% confident he'll be a starter, 70% confident he'll be a starter. Um, and, like, I think he, you know, he could easily pitch 100 innings in the Dodgers rotation next year if, if everything goes great. So I think that's that's all uh, very exciting. Um, and as to the Kyle Harrison, D.L. Hall comps, um, I think the, the Harrison comp uh, is, I think that that's interesting. Um, that one's not, not too bad, actually. Uh, you know, I think Harrison actually has probably shown more um, command issues, but he's also uh, 
couple years younger so i i don't mind the harrison comp i wouldn't i'd actually even remove like um poor man's kyle harrison i guess in in terms of just kind of upside uh but that you know dl hall dl hall probably at his peak had uh even better stuff than either hurt or harrison just big time uh, durability concerns with hall and some command issues with hall so uh interesting comps uh okay Toolsy says Curtis Mead is ranked high, but his team context has me concerned. The Rays called him up and never played him. Will he have a spot with Caminero with Carmen with uh, Junior Caminero on the way? His defense also is not his strength, so that could impact his opportunity to play at least for, at least on the Rays. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's hard it's it's not hard to make a case I think against having Mead as high as I have him. And as I said earlier, this kind of applies like he's in this big group of guys uh, like from 14 to 48, roughly. Um, So if you, you know, if you wanted to take a guy that I've got 30 spots lower than Mead, I wouldn't really argue with you a a ton. What it really comes down to is I just absolutely believe in Mead's bat. Uh, I think it's going to play every day, uh, basically at any position um, just kind of a matter of when, you know, they already moved Kyle Manzardo. So that's one short term playing time competitor out of the picture. And, you know, with the Rays, if, if you hit, you play, uh, eventually like, uh, you know, Isak Paredes, Yandy Diaz are, are kind of good facsimiles to meet, I think, um, both skills wise and, you know, sort of defensive, uh, scouting report wise, like that type of thing. Um, so I don't, you know, I don't think Curtis Mead goes into 2024 with an everyday job. Um, but I just, I believe in the bat. Like I, there's that big tier. So the guys that I sort of believe in the most are, are ranked higher within that tier. And I just really believe in Mead. Uh, but if you're just not, if you don't really see it the way that I see it, uh, that's, that's totally fine. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you should definitely be making your own decisions. You should be using the rankings as a tool. They're not gospel. They're, they're my evaluations. Uh, St. Louis perfectos says ceiling alone, rank these teenage prospects, the Shedri Vargas with the Rangers, Jason Churio with the guardians, Rainer Arias with the giants, Christian Baccaro with the nationals and Emmanuel Benia with the blue Jays and Luis Lara with the brewers. So, he just wants me to rank them um, just based on ceiling. Uh, for me, it's it's Rainer Arias, um, uh, Churio, Vaquero, uh, Bonilla, Lara, Vargas. I guess um, you know smaller guys like Vargas, like uh, you know they'll put up some strong, but I think kind of misleading numbers sometimes in the lower levels of the minors um, in rookie ball, especially. And then the production kind of flattens out against upper level pitching. So I think, um, I think a Shedri Vargas is, is kind of overrated just based on the, the surface stats. Uh, you know, Churio and Vaquero are very similar. They, they actually probably have um, just, you, they, they have high ceilings. I just don't think there's, any certainty at all that they'll get close to their ceilings just because the power is sort of, it's, you know, waiting for it to show up. Um, they have speed, they have strong hit tools. 
they have the frame to hit for power, but they're not really trying to hit for power. Their swings and their approaches aren't geared for power. So who knows if it comes? I, I don't like hitters that just hit the ball on the ground and hit the ball the other way on the ground and get to first base. It just, it's not a, it's not a good way to have success when you get to double A, triple A. Um, but they're, they're young enough. They're talented enough that they could, you know, we could be looking up like a year from now and all of a sudden one of them is, is showcasing average or above average power. And then all of a sudden they're shooting up the list. So um, kind of depends on, on how confident you are. The power is going to show up for, for Churio and Vaquero. Uh, you know, I think um, Luis Lara has the highest floor by a mile of, of these guys. Like I think uh, Luis Lara pretty comfortably projects to be a, you know, an everyday big leaguer um, when it's all said and done, it's just a question of how much power is going to be there really. Uh, and then, with Arias, it, it really kind of works in, in Rainer Arias's favor that the sample size is so small with him. You know, he had this awesome uh, like three week run in the Dominican Summer League and then he got a season ending injury um, and he was just doing it all in that uh, that short run before he got injured. So I think he has the most realistic chance of being a superstar type of guy, like a top 10 prospect, um, even though the sample is small, we just we haven't seen him show any weaknesses yet uh he also hasn't come stateside yet but uh yeah i think Arias has the highest ceiling of those guys uh daniel says what are you expecting to see from mason win in the regular season um I, I assume he means like next regular season um so mason win and uh everson Pereira are, are two guys that i've ranked in the top 20 but I just don't really have much interest in them at all for, for like 2023 redraft, at least not yet. Uh, I, when I had, um, uh, you know, I think a couple, a couple of weeks ago when I had arm late on, I mentioned with Pereira that he's the type of guy that when he gets to the big leagues, he could strike out 40% of the time. And that wouldn't like, I'd, I'd kind of expect him to strike out that much. And that's exactly what he's doing, uh, with Mason Wynn. Um, I, you know, about a year ago, I sort of thought he would be, you know, kind of like a Colton Wong type of fantasy option, maybe not with like the split issues and the platoon issues, but just a guy that, you know, hits for a decent average, hits like 15 homers, steals, 20 bases, you know, if he plays a full season, that type of thing. Um, but then Wynn just went on this power rampage uh, this summer at AAA He's also the youngest qualified hitter at AAA this season, Mason Wynn. Uh, he hit 13 homers with a 576 slug over his last 55 games at AAA. Uh, so that kind of just completely changed things in terms of how I was evaluating him. Um, like, I think he's, you know, at peak. I think there's a, he's got a chance to just be a top 10 fantasy shortstop for, for a long time. Um, I don't know whether, there'll be another year of uh, growing pains with win. You know, maybe he just kind of, it kind of clicks for him at some point early next year. And um, you know, I think as, as soon as it, as soon as he kind of figures it out, I think 2020 is immediately on the table. Uh, I think he'll probably hit kind of in the 260 to 280 range during his prime um, better in batting average leagues than OBP leagues. 
so I think like for, for Mason win next year, it's just going to come down to what, what's the price on him. Um, I don't want to draft him like needing him to kind of be a guy that I leave in my lineup most weeks. But if I'm getting him as a, as a really late middle infielder in like a 15 team league, or maybe even as like a bench bat, uh, I think that that'd be great. I think that'd be worth uh, kind of rolling the dice on him, but uh, it might not even be 2024 where it really kind of clicks for win. So I think there will be a chance this off season, especially to, to kind of buy low on him. Uh, M fest says CJ Abrams recent uh, burst has him finishing at least 1540 with other young stars like Corbin Carroll, Bobby Witt and Julio Rodriguez. Is he someone you believe in and would you hold in dynasty or look to sell? And if so, for what? Uh, so right now I think I'd value Abrams kind of similarly to guys like uh, Royce Lewis, Riley Green, Jazz Chisholm, O'Neal Cruz in Dynasty. Um, so kind of like a borderline top 50 asset. Uh, obviously the, the speed and the playing time are the two biggest things working in Abrams' favor. Um, I, don't, I don't think the power – like I don't think he should be kind of mentioned in that Carol Witt Rodriguez range just because of the, the power to me just isn't, isn't there. Um, yeah, he, he's going to have years where he hits for a high-ish batting average, but I, I just don't think he's the same caliber of hitter as a guy like Corbin Carroll. He obviously doesn't have the power of Witt or Julio Rodriguez. Um, and so I, I generally try to build my teams both in Dynasty and in Redraft so that I'm dominant in the four non-speed categories and then kind of mid-pack or better in steals, ideally. Uh, so you know, it, you might have several shortstops like this often happens to me in dynasty where I just have like three or four shortstops and eventually you just got to trade one or two of them. But, um, so like if, if that's you with Abrams, I don't, I don't mind trading him. Um, you know, I think, I think you almost want to wait the closer we get to opening day, the more, the more ADP, uh, redraft ADP is going to have Abrams as kind of like a, I don't know, like a third round guy because of the, the speed. Uh, I think that'll sort of help you get like a really nice return if you do want to move him. Um, but uh, it just depends what you're getting back. I, I, I hate answering the like, who would you sell him for? Like, what would you sell him for? Like, I mean, that's just depends on what you need. Like you're rebuilding, you're contending, what positions you need. But um, like, I, I believe in him being kind of, this type of guy um and just kind of comes down to how much you, you value that uh okay uh, let's head to a quick message from our sponsors we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We know the weather can impact how far a ball can fly, but we never know what all that heat and humidity or cold air is really doing to the ball. The Home Run Forecast Index gives us an easy way to determine how good or bad the air is for ball flight. The index is calculated by measuring stadium-specific weather conditions and is displayed on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the most unfavorable for a good ball flight and 10 indicating the most favorable air. There's a strong correlation between the index and the number of runs scored per game and the number of home runs hit. Games that have the highest index, 10 for the whole game, average over 10 runs and 2.8 homers over the course of the year. An index is created for each game so you can see what it will be in any stadium and how the weather's influence might change over the course of the game as well as the wind direction. Right now, you can get access to the HRF premium site for only $5 a month and see what the index will look like for every hour of every game. Go to homerunforecast.com now to sign up. All right, so I got uh, some similar questions here from uh, like Steve G says, uh, Kobe Mayo uh, with the dreaded red arrow. Um, anything he did or didn't do. Uh, same with Kyle Manzardo. Uh, Chaz Beef uh, says he's curious what caused Andrew Painter to move up and Kobe Mayo to move down. Uh, Aaron Mullen says, I'm surprised you haven't dropped Andrew Painter lower. Why do you value him as a top 40 prospect given the injury and timeline to the bigs? Um, so all of these questions, the, the Mayo, Manzardo, uh, painter <clears throat> all just really good examples of the arrows being kind of meaningless uh, in this specific instance um, you know I, I the arrows are nice but I, I just kind of wish people would focus 30% less 50% less on on the arrows um, like I wasn't I wasn't aware when I when I was putting the rankings together that Mayo was going to have a down arrow and that painter was going to have an up arrow. And, you know, it's just like, I wasn't like, I, I need to lower Mayo or I need to uh, bump painter up. Um, but I can speak to these, these three guys a little bit here. Um, you know, in the case of Mayo, uh, I like him a lot and uh, I just, I don't, <laughs> it's, I just don't want uh, I don't want it to come across. Like I'm like low on Kobe Mayo. I like Kobe Mayo. I've talked about Kobe Mayo a lot. Um, I think I've been pretty high on him relative to most people for like two years at this point. Um, and I've, I've noted how he's, he's got a pretty 
ugly swing, but the results are just incredible. Um, so a couple negatives on Mayo, like, uh, similarly to Curtis Mead, just sort of how do they, how do they fit him into the lineup? Um, but unlike with Curtis Mead, like all the guys are sort of the same age. So, you know, I like he's going to be competing with Heston Kirstead for playing time and Jordan Westberg, you know, they just, they have a lot of guys and, um, yeah, I think Mayo is is as good as a lot of those guys, if not better. But when does he get to play? And then, uh, you know, Camden Yards is terrible park for for righty power, and so uh, that's just like a small factor. It's not like I was like I need to lower Mayo, but um, just something to keep in mind. Like he's not going to hit as many home runs as an Oriole as as he might with with another team. Um, but like with Curtis Mead, uh, I've got Curtis Mead twenty seven spots higher. But I don't. I would not even spend a second arguing with you if you said you like Kobe Mayo more than Curtis Mead. Um, that's just that's how flat the rankings are in that range. Um, you know, I know Orioles Twitter was a little up in arms about him not being top twenty-five. It was not meant to be any sort of statement on Kobe Mayo. Like I think you could value him as the fourteenth best prospect for Dynasty, and I think that'd be a perfectly fine take uh in the case of andrew painter um he'd be the clear number two pitching prospect and a top 15 overall prospect if he were healthy um just super clear like if if andrew painter was was healthy it'd be paul Skeens and andrew painter and then a big drop to the next pitching prospect um and there's a little bit you know it, the Tommy John surgery thing, it's a, it's a bummer for sure. It's going to delay his debut. Um, you know, the reality is he's probably going to get Tommy John surgery at some point early in his career. He's a young, he was, you know, he's super young, hard throwing pitcher. Like those guys almost always get Tommy John surgery. Um, or at least it seems like more often than not, they get Tommy John surgery earlier in their career. Um, so he's getting it out of the way now. Um, there's a bit of a supply and demand issue here. Like with, like, there just aren't many young aces. It's so hard to get your hands on a young ace. And so I didn't want to be too short-sighted with Painter. Um, like, I think he's a, he's a great guy to trade for right now. Like if you're a rebuilding team and you can trade for Andrew Painter, um, kind of the same thing I, I said about Shane Boz uh, with the Rays, you know, a year, year ago or so. Uh, like if you're, especially if you're not contending next year, try to go trade for Andrew Painter right now. Uh, Tommy John surgery isn't hundred percent, but I think it's, you know, it's for a guy, his age uh, where it's his first Tommy John, it's basically like 90%. Um, so uh, I just didn't want to overreact here and, and put the guy who talent wise is the clear second best pitching prospect in the game um, too low. Um, and then with Manzardo, you know, I think the only thing with Manzardo that's really changed this season is, I view his ceiling as a little bit lower than I did entering the year. Like I don't, I don't really see kind of him being like a 320 hitter with 25 homers at peak. Uh, I thought that that could have been possible entering the year, but um, yeah, I think the, the floor is is still quite high. Like I think he's a guy who's going to be a you know quality first base slash DH who's going to debut early next season, hit like the middle of the guardians lineup. Um, 
So it's just, you know, he's in that that kind of big big tier of reference a few times already. Uh, Paul says, I've uh, got a few Jet Williams questions here. So uh, Paul says, big jump for Jet Williams. Uh, what type of power speed upside does he have? Could he be Jose Altuve light, a smaller stature player with power speed combo? And then Daniel, uh, does Jet Williams play second base for the Mets next year? Is it unreasonable to see his ceiling as a 300, 400, 500 slash with 20 homers, 40 steals? Um, you know, I think, uh, I think you guys are both kind of on the right track in terms of his upside. Uh, you know, a notable difference between, you know, comparing Jet Williams to Jose Altuve is, Jet Williams is going to be in a super pitcher friendly park, assuming he doesn't get traded, which is not a, you know, he could get traded. Um, Mets have traded really, really good pros- hitting prospects before. Um, but assuming he doesn't get traded, he's going to be in a very pitcher friendly park. And Jose Altuve got to take advantage of the Crawford boxes uh, his whole career. Um, so that's, you know, a little bit of a, a difference there, but from a just tool standpoint, like I think Jet Williams could be a 70 grade hitter. I think he could steal 40 bases. I think he could hit 20 homers. Um, so I think, I think you guys are on the right track with the the ceiling with Jet Williams. Do not do not discount his ceiling because of his stature. You know, I mean he's he's not going to be like uh, it's not the same type of game necessarily to me as as Corbin Carroll, but like it's kind of the same idea where it just took people a long time to really buy into Corbin Carroll as a five category guy because of his stature. And so just don't make that mistake with Williams. Uh, Williams could be a first round pick in fantasy. Um, as to when he debuts, um, I would guess he debuts kind of count. Like if he stays healthy, if he performs the way I expect at double a, um, I think kind of like a calendar year from now, maybe he comes up and then they get, uh, they try to have him win rookie of the year in 2025. Um, but, you know, who knows with the Mets, who knows sort of how that depth chart shakes out. Uh, they've got like three third basemen uh, who are all basically big league ready right now and, and no room for, for two of them. Um, let's see. Adam Leach. I know it's different. It's a different level, but given the difference in batting average, is what Yoendri Vargas of the Dodgers is doing in the Dominican Summer League any less impressive than what Sebastian Walcott of the Rangers is doing? Um, and then Aaron Mullins asked why Sebastian Walcott got the down arrows. Um, so I think for Adam's question, I think you're probably, I know you mentioned that it's a level, it's a different level, but I do think you're underrating the difference in the, the DSL and complex ball. And there's, there's a lot of factors here. So, well, they're the same age, right? So um, being one of those guys who kind of skips the DSL, uh, like walk, I mean, not totally, but like for the most part, um, that's, that just kind of changes the equation. Um, It's just, it's a different game. Uh, We have much less reliable Intel available for what guys are doing in the DSL. Uh, we can get video, you know, but you know, sometimes the videos from one of the players, Instagram accounts or something like that. Um, you know, you're, 
you just the the pitching is terrible the defense is terrible they're not like they're not kind of like that well structured the games like there's a dozen guys that have just as good of uh surface stats as Yoendri Vargas does I have Vargas ranked ahead of I think all of them um I think he's my highest ranked DSL guy but uh that's kind of just a nod to his pedigree like he he kind of he's performing the best of the guys who got big seven figure bonuses. Um, it's just the, the amount of confidence I have in players in the DSL, just it, it's never going to get to where it would be for a guy at the complex level, just because of the amount of data available. And, and then with Walcott, like we know he has these superstar tools, um, you know, Vargas probably does have those types of tools. Uh, I mean, he looks very athletic it looks like he's got power he's got speed from the video i've seen um but you know we've got like exit velocities on sebastian walcott he's he's facing better competition um and so it's it's just the upside is so obvious with walcott it's not as obvious to me with with some of these guys before they come stateside um it's a it's an interesting point though like i i like vargas a lot um as to Aaron's question uh Walcott why is he down so you know he got the he's just he's like one of the last guys that I would have wanted to get suspended for disciplinary reasons when you factor in the amount of work he's going to have to put in uh every off season from here on out to kind of get the most of his abilities like he he has that clear number one overall prospect type of upside. Um, but he's going to have to work really hard to get there. Like he's not going to be able to just sort of show up and, and he's just going to dominate as he, as he climbs the ladder. And, you know, we're, we've seen him struggle this year with, with strikeouts. Um, and then I think I was just a little uh, sort of, I got too caught up in his upside with my prior ranking. Uh, I kind of regret, I regretted, how high I ranked Walcott like a day or two after, after that set of rankings went live. So, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. Walcott is extremely risky. He's got an extremely high ceiling. I would rather be hearing, you know, amazing report like, and just because he got suspended for disciplinary reasons doesn't mean he's a bad guy, but you know, it's just, it's something, it's part of the information available to us and, um, so I just, that, you know, that was kind of a, an orange flag or something like that. Uh, all right. I, l- I love this question from uh, Scott Corlander. How much can we really tell about some of these guys who are old for their leagues? Uh, guys like Blake Dunn of the Reds, uh, center fielder for the Reds. Uh, ben Rice is uh, like a catcher, first baseman, DH for the Yankees, Justice Bigby. Uh, left fielder for the Tigers. Um, so I slotted all these guys in the, yeah, I put them all back to back to back. Uh, 179 for Blake Dunn, 180 for Ben Rice, 181 for Justice Bigby. Uh, they're all at double A. They're all 24. Um, so to Scott's question, like how much can we really take uh, when they're this old? And, you know, we can't really tell that much about their hit tools, in my opinion, um, or at least how their hit tools are going to 
translate as they get to I mean, AAA isn't even really the thing with these guys. Like, it's more just how is it going to translate against big league pitching? Um, I, I do think we know that like Blake Dunn um, has a well-rounded skill set. He's a center fielder. He's he's stealing a bunch of bases. He's he's kind of doing it all. Uh, we know that Ben Rice is just kind of hitting shit out of the ball right now. Like he he's got huge raw power. That's pretty easy to see. Uh, Big B is just, uh, you know, he's putting up kind of video game numbers. Um, and, you know, he's going to have to obviously hit if he, you know, he's already playing the majority of his games in left field. So um, really the thing is though, we, we see guys without pedigree and with sort of bad age to level uh, turn into quality big leaguers every year. Um, so I don't think we can just sort of ignore these guys. Uh, and then, Ranking them in the 179 to 181 range, um, any player I rank in that range, I think you should sort of expect them to to not pan out, um, unless it's just the most boring low floor guy ever. Uh, just by definition, if you're even someone ranked like 120, it's you know, they're very risky. So putting these guys who are putting up ridiculous numbers and are old to their levels uh, and have no pedigree, like putting them in that range, like back of the top 200, I think that's, that's the place for these guys. Um, you know, it, it shows you like, Hey, here are some guys who are doing crazy stuff. They're over their level. If you want to add them, you can add them. Uh, if you want to ignore them, ignore them. But um, yeah, I think there, there has to be a place for guys like that. Uh, JLD, do you see Jackson Holiday on the Orioles in the first or second half of next season? Uh, I think he's on the opening day roster. Uh, I'm going to draft him in redraft leagues. Uh, it, it just, it would not, there's just no way they could justify keeping him down until next September. And if they're not going to keep him down until next September, then they, I think they'd be foolish to not have him on the opening day roster because he would be the favorite to win rookie of the year and get them a draft pick. And uh, they are going to try to win a world series next year. Um, they're going to try to win a world series every year for the next decade. But Jackson holidays, the type of player who, you know, it looks like he went through puberty two weeks ago. Like he's going to show up next year, spring training, even better. He's going to be stronger. He's, I mean, he might even be faster. He's just, he's kind of as scary as it sounds. He's kind of scratching the surface. And I think he slots in sort of perfectly. Um, I think Jackson holiday is their shortstop. Gunnar Henderson's their third baseman. Jordan Westberg's their second baseman. You have three shortstops playing second base, shortstop, third base. And I, you know, I think you've got Ramon Urias playing, a lot of third base right now. You got Adam Frazier playing last second base right now. It's easy to just kind of spread those pieces uh, around and make room for Jackson holiday. So opening day for Jackson holiday. And I'm excited to see where he goes. in like the first draft and hold leagues, uh, I guarantee once we get to March, Jackson holiday is going to be going in the top 200. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to sort of see how his ADP evolves uh, as we get closer to opening day 2024 jh schroeder uh asks for 
one high K rate hitter where you believe in the hit tool and one low K rate hitter where you're concerned about the hit tool. Okay. So uh, for one high K rate hitter where I believe in the hit tool, I'm going to say Roman Anthony of the Red Sox. Uh, more on him in a second though. Um, for the one low K rate hitter where you're concerned about the hit tool, uh, I'm going to say any catcher with, with a low K rate. Um, just you always see catching prospects like no matter how good the K rate was in the minors, they just they're going to hit for a lower batting average in the big leagues. They're usually bad athletes. They're going to run lower BABIPs. Uh, they're going to be focused on their defense. They're just they're always going to underperform. What like if you if you're looking at like Edgar Caro or or even Jefferson Caro, like guys with um, great K rates um, below 20%, great age to level factors and all that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm expect, I, lo- I like Jefferson Carroll a lot. I think he's probably going to be more like a 255 hitter. Um, Edgar Carroll could be a, a good, good OBP guy, but I don't think he's going to hit for like, I don't think he's going to be like a 285 hitter or anything like that. And then uh, tying back into to Roman Anthony, uh, Dynasty Junkie says, uh, my trade deadline is Friday and I'm considering dealing Roman Anthony. I'm aware of the scouting reports, but what do you make of his uh, 30.6 K, K rate um, and 398 BABIP in, at high A? Seems like the BABIP is driving the current hype. And perhaps there's still quite a developmental road ahead. Should I sell high? So as as y'all hopefully know by now, I I don't really like comps, um, especially just kind of trying to force a comp. Um, but I I see so much Christian Yelich uh, with with Roman Anthony. Um, good the good version of Christian Yelich, like maybe not quite like MVP version of Christian Yelich, but um, you know he's it's a super aggressive assignment for him right now. He's uh, a young 19 at high a and you know, the batted ball distribution is, is just picture perfect. Um, like 30% line drive rate, 38% pull rate. Uh, he's cut his ground ball rate at every stop. Uh, he hasn't run that much at high a because he's slugging like 560, but, uh, there's speed there. Um, he's got, uh, on Rotowire, um, you want to go to the site rotowire.com slash pod. You can see our, our hard hit data um, for most uh, full season minor league hitters. And Roman Anthony has a 38.3% hard hit rate as a 19 year old center fielder at high A. Like that is just absurd. You know, that's like, that's what like 25 year old first baseman do at triple A. And he's running that right now. Um, it's just, it's insane. Um, so I hear you with the BABIP. Um, but if you're going to run a high BABIP based on skill, you know, there's just, there's certain hitters who always run higher BABIPs than, than others. Anthony checks every single box you'd be looking for in a guy to deserve a, a higher BABIP. So I'm not saying he's going to have like a 400 BABIP, uh, as he climbs the ladder, but, um, I don't think you should regress it maybe quite as much as you think, especially against low level defenders. Um, so now I was pretty aggressive with where I ranked Roman Anthony. Um, so I think you could probably sell quite high on him. 
especially after I had just comped him to Christian Yelich. But uh, I wouldn't do it just to do it. Um, you know, I think like if you could trade him for Colt Keith, then yeah, I would do that. Um, if you could trade him for a really good big leaguer who's going to help you win your league this year, like sure. But uh, I wouldn't just trade him just because you think he's going to fail because of his current strikeout rate and, and Babbitt. O's flows. Any obvious sell high candidates on this list? For example, if Mason Wynn and Everson Pereira keep struggling through the end of the season, do you expect their value to drop precipitously during the offseason? I think Wynn and Pereira would be sell low candidates, whether you sold them today or whether you sold them in the offseason. Like to me, they're struggling, but it's expected struggles against big league pitching um, for different different reasons they're different types of players but like i don't think you should look at win and Pereira and be surprised that they're struggling in the big leagues right now uh so if you sold them to me that's selling low uh if you want to sell high on someone i i think james wood is a sell high uh just based on kind of what i perceive his value to be in dynasty leagues uh and the amount of hit tool risk i see with james wood like uh, I'm not like, I don't think he's going to definitely be a bust or anything like that. But I, if you just said like, who's someone that everyone thinks is a top 10 prospect who you think is overrated, James Wood would be my answer. I just, I think there, there's a chance he just never really hits for a high average. Um, so that's, there's a sell high guy, even though the strikeout rate tie with him, I, I do think you could get someone to, to overvalue him in a trade right now. Uh, Chaz Beef says Dylan Lesko uh, versus Brock Porter um, says the gap surprises him a bit. Um, so I have, I should probably say where I have him. Um, I have Lesko at 146 and I have uh, Porter at 230. Um no, that's not that big of a gap. Like when you kind of consider how flat it gets in that range of the rankings, but, but anyway, um, so I do, I do have Lesko quite a bit higher in Porter. Um, so he wants to know sort of what do you like about one versus the other? Uh, <clears throat> you know, Lesko has better, better stuff. Um, that was true. Even entering that draft, um, you know, Lesko went ahead of Porter, but, um, Porter was considered by some to be the best prep arm in the draft because Lesko had just had Tommy John surgery. Um, but Lesko is back from his Tommy John surgery. And, uh, you know, he Porter, kind of like what I said with, uh, like, Andrew Painter earlier, like, Porter throws really hard. He's two to three years away from the majors. Um I just kind of assume Porter's going to get Tommy John surgery at some point. And uh, I also think Lesko has better stuff, better command. Porter's walking a ton of guys at single A right now. He's not super young for the level. Um, so I just, I think Lesko is safer and has a higher ceiling. Uh, Jason E. Does Ethan Salas have a chance at playing in the majors at age 18? Ah, uh, yes. Um, well, he definitely has a chance. I mean, I think anyone betting against anything Ethan Salas related, uh, 
it just I wouldn't do it right now because of you know he's breaking all the rules already. He's he ter- he's 17 uh, and he doesn't turn 18 until June 1st. So, um, well, I, I do think he has a chance of playing in the majors at age 18. Um, that could mean early 2025 as well, since he won't turn 19 until June of 2025. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can guarantee you uh, Ethan Salas is going to have an average draft position in draft and hold leagues as a 17 year old this off season, which is crazy to say, I, I'd have to think about it. If anyone can think of anyone off the top of their head, I can't think of anyone who's been 17 and has been drafted in any redraft leagues. Um, but Ethan Salas will get drafted in some draft and hold leagues this winter. Um, he's going to be in big league camp in the spring and it's going to be fascinating to see how he does there. It just wouldn't, nothing would surprise me. Like I, I can already picture like an MLB pipeline story about how Ethan Salas like totally belongs in big league camp and the big leaguers are petitioning to have him on the opening day roster. Like I can already see that story being written. Um, so I don't know if I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be the one drafting him in drafting whole leagues, but uh, I don't think, I, I definitely don't think you could say there's no chance he plays in the majors at age 18. Uh, Ike, one 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 one. Ike says, "What do you like about Hansel Luis of the Diamondbacks? Uh, more solid across the board, or does something stand out?" Uh, well, really, really good across the board. You know, probably better than solid in terms of just projection. Um, I think the power is probably what stands out the most, and the the power that you can kind of project Luis to get to uh, two to three years down the road. Um, he's a good athlete, really good bat speed, good tools across the board. He's a switch hitter. He's going to add defensive value um, somewhere on the infield. So uh, just a lot to like. Um, had a really good run in the complex league. He's basically carried that over. Um, he's striking out a little bit more in, at single A, but he's he's had a lot of success for an 18-year-old at single A too. Uh, Paul says, uh, long-term outlook on Tyler Black of the Brewers. Uh, small sample size in AAA is encouraging. Uh, 16.3% walk rate, 372 OBP. Uh, I find black to be very tough to rank, um, especially like I do my rankings kind of loosely for batting average leagues. Um, he's better in OBP leagues, obviously, than, than batting average leagues. But uh, I think he's very, very tough to rank. Um there's no way he's going to run this much in the majors. Uh, he's very instinctual. Um, you know, maybe he's a plus runner, probably more like an above average runner. He's got 50 steals this year. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a plus runner right now. And I think he's probably above average in a year or two. Um, so, I don't buy that like the 50 steals, like maybe he's a 25 steal guy, um, which is, which is still great, but uh, just don't, don't look at the steals and be like, Holy crap, this guy's going to win me my stolen bases. Um, so he's also a below average defender, fringe average defender. Uh, I don't know if he's going to do quite enough damage to make up for that, especially at, at third base. Um, 
I also get concerned a little bit about guys who are this passive and, and just get a ton of walks against bad pitchers and then having that carry over to the big leagues. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a good eye and you know, you can, you can draw a bunch of walks in, in the minors. Um, and I say this every year around this time, but the, the pitching at AAA right now is really bad. Um, guys are injured. Guys are tired. The best guys are in the majors. Uh, it's just, it's sometimes you just get a lot of false positives on hitters at triple a this time of year, just because of how bad the pitching is. Um, so black's really hard, really hard to, uh, confidently project for me. Um, pretty wide range of outcomes, honestly, like I think batting average wise, like maybe two fifty is kind of like a peak batting average for him with like a three fifty, three sixty OBP. Uh, and then he, you know, he could maybe be leading off with that OBP and then he's maybe stealing 25 bases. Maybe he's hitting, I don't know, 15 to 20 homers. Um, that's kind of the upside, I think. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough. It, he, he's got such an odd statistical output. Um, and then you factor in the shaky defense, kind of tough to wrap your hands around it. Um, okay, O's flows says Royce Lewis is quietly turning into the superstar that you consistently predicted he would be. Where do you think he ends up in the dynasty rankings if he stays healthy and keeps up his current stat line through the end of the year? Uh, well, just I'm, I don't want, I don't want to look that far ahead with Royce Lewis. Like I'm just every day, just hoping he stays healthy. Uh, I have him, I have 100% Royce Lewis exposure in my NFBC fab leagues right now. And so uh, I don't, I just am so scared to get too high on Royce Lewis. Uh, like I, I've deleted some Royce Lewis tweets that I was thinking about sending out just because I don't want any sort of karma out there. I don't want him to get injured. Like I just really want him to stay healthy. Um, and, you know, as much for him as, as for me, like he, He's a great guy. He's great for the game. Just would be absolutely devastating if he if he suffered another major injury. Um, so I I don't know. Like if he stays healthy and he kind of keeps doing what he's doing, which is basically hitting a home run every other day. Uh, which I mean, he won't keep doing that. Obviously, uh, I'd like him to steal some more bases, but it's hard when he keeps hitting these home runs. Um, so I mean, he's talent wise. I think he's basically like a top 30 guy for dynasty just based on talent. Like if you just said he was going to be an iron man, I'd probably rank him that high, but um, I don't know. Let's, let's wait till we get there. Um, I hope, I hope that I have to cross this bridge and he does stay healthy the rest of the season. Uh, Beer bot. Did Kyle Harrison start last night, have any influence on his big jump? And I think he, so he meant the, you mean the Monday night start? Yeah, I think you meant the Monday night start. Yep. Um, yes, it did. Uh, it really did. And that was weird because I had I had Kyle Harrison ranked kind of like around 80, something like that. Um, and then he just absolutely destroys the Reds. And uh, I think it's worth noting that that same Reds lineup was like an out away from getting no hit by Alex Cobb the very – very next night. So this is a, 
it was a easy it was kind of a cake matchup for uh kyle harrison uh home for this reds team not many better opportunities to put up a bunch of k's but it also just it would it felt so weird having him ranked like 80th coming off that game um you know if you look at the game log he he walked he's walked three and uh nine and two-thirds in the big leagues and then uh, his three most or four most recent appearances at Triple A or in the minors, it was zero walks, zero walks, four walks, zero walks. Uh, it just, that's all it is with Kyle Harrison. It's just is he going to throw enough strikes? And um, for the vast majority of this season, and maybe even the majority of his pro career, he has not thrown enough strikes. Over the past month, he has thrown enough strikes, and. Uh, obviously coming off. I mean, that could end up being Kyle Harrison might not have a better start in the big leagues over the next year than he did um, earlier this week. And so I just, I bumped him up from like 80 to like, I don't know, like 40, something like that. Just because I always preach the most valuable thing a pitching prospect can be doing is pitching in the big leagues and pitching effectively in the big leagues. And Kyle, I know Kyle Harrison's got crazy good stuff. So that one was tough to, to kind of figure out where to slot him, but it absolutely did affect where I ranked him. Um, all right, Cam Anderson. Is it fair to assume Paul Skeens is the first pitcher in your top 400 off the board for 2024 redraft? Who do you think is second? Do you think you will be in on either at the projected price tag? I uh, love this question. Um, I'm always trying to think ahead to where prospects and former prospects might go in drafts the following year. I definitely agree, or I, I concur that uh, your assumption is correct about Skeens being the first pitcher in the top 400 off the board for 2024. I guess I'm not sure if Cam wants to be excluding guys already in the big leagues, but even if we didn't do that, I would bet Skeens gets drafted higher than like whoever you want to say, like Kyle Harrison, Ryan Pepio, Mason Miller, Max Meyer, guys who've pitched in the big leagues. I do think Skeens would get drafted over all those guys. Um, you know, uh, I think at Healthy Ricky Tiedemann is probably my bet to be the second guy, especially if we kind of exclude pitchers who've already pitched in the big leagues. Um, the question kind of at the top about where's Emmett Sheehan, uh, he graduated. Uh, I would take Emmett Sheehan um, uh, over anyone other than Skeens if, if we wanted to count him. Um, and I, probably would take him over skeins especially if i thought um he had a rotation spot but you know we'll see uh, i do think skeins is gonna get probably overdrafted uh, you know i thought grayson rodriguez was getting overdrafted this year uh he's obviously paying it off lately but did you draft him and hold him for like three and a half months before you started getting production from him um probably not uh, draft and hold maybe it's kind of paid off a little bit but you know Grayson Rodriguez is getting drafted middle of the 
or like in, in the 100 to one or 200 range. Um, I could, I could see Skeens getting, I could see Skeens having a ADP inside the top 200, uh, especially the closer we get to opening day. And that's just generally not how I try to go after pitching in redraft. Um, I'm always looking for values on the pitching side. I'm generally, you know, I, I tend to go for guys that I've seen them do something at least in the big leagues. Um, so I doubt I'll be in on skeins, but it's, it's tough to say. Um, now, and then I, I would pred- predict that a healthy Ricky Tiedemann would be the second pitcher who hasn't pitched the big leagues um, in terms of ADP next year. I won't, I won't be in on Ricky Tiedemann for a variety of reasons. Just, you know, bunch of health red flags, bunch of, you know, how deep can he go into a game? Can he string together a bunch of five, six inning starts on a starter's normal rest schedule? Like, can he do that? Like, who knows? Um, so I, I think Ricky and with redraft, uh, you know, name value plays a big role with redraft ADP for, for prospects. That's why Grayson Rodriguez, I mean, Grayson Rodriguez obviously is great stuff, but everyone knew who Grayson Rodriguez was. So he wasn't falling very far. Everyone knows who Ricky Tiedemann is. Uh, I mean, he was being drafted in leagues this year. Um, so I think Ricky Tiedemann will probably be overdrafted if he's healthy. Uh, some sleepers I like in terms of pitching prospects for 2024, uh, Jared Jones, Pirates, Robert Gosser, Brewers, Kyle Hurt, Dodgers. Like those guys are not household names among the redraft crowd. Uh, I think they all have, you know, I think they're all basically big league ready. Um, so, you know, Jones, Gosser, Hurt, those are the types of pitching prospects I could see myself ending up with in some like drafting holes and stuff. But I, I'll be more likely to go after, you know, like a Taj Bradley or, uh, like a Brian Wu or just, you know, someone who maybe I think is undervalued, who's already pitched in the big leagues, who kind of clearly projects to be in a rotation. Um, John H. How do you compare the risk upside of young potential sluggers, Xavier Isaac and Lazaro Montes? Also a Davis Schneider breakdown would be fun. Well, love Isaac, love Montes. They both barely missed my top 25. Um, really just absolutely love both those guys. Um, if we're going to compare them, uh, I think, I think the power potential is about the same, just massive, um, uh, you know, 70 grade game power, that type of thing. Uh, the only thing that gives me any pause with Xavier Isaac is that he's got some pretty stark righty lefty splits. Uh, he's a left-handed slugger. He does much better against righties than lefties. Um, the sample size against lefties is tiny, so I don't want to read too much into that. And, you know, we've seen like Tristan Casas has been super valuable this year while really doing all his damage against righties. Um, but like that, that could cap, cap a guy's, um, long-term upside if, if he, especially on like a team like the Rays, you know, they could, they could rest him against lefties. That's um, conceivable. Uh, he could still hit, you know, he could be like the first baseman, Josh Lowe hits like 35 homers, even in a platoon or something. But um, 
I don't, I'm not projecting a platoon for, for Isaac, but that's the only flaw I really see with Isaac is just the, the numbers against lefties this year. Uh, as for Montes, I think if one of these two guys were to reach like double A and all of a sudden start to really struggle, I think it would be Montes. I'm much more confident in Xavier Isaac kind of just doing damage every step of the way. Uh, so like, I think that's, that's the risk factor with, with Montes is just, he's doing all this damage. He still hasn't really faced good pitching yet. Um, he's just bigger, stronger, more talented than everyone he's playing against. So he's putting up crazy numbers, but um, you know, I could see him getting a double a and just really having a hard time with guys that can uh, throw all their pitches for strikes. And then, um, but I would say, you know, he probably is a better chance of being a true everyday player uh, because of the, the splits I mentioned with Isaac. Uh, and then I, if, if, if you just said, these guys are both going to kind of reach their ceilings. I'd probably lean towards having the outfielder slash designated hitter Montes than the first baseman slash designated hitter uh, Isaac. Although I wouldn't be surprised if both guys have some seasons where they're UT only. Um, and then he, he wanted uh, a David Schneider breakdown. Yeah. Um, he's got a 560 Babbitt. Uh, he absolutely murders lefties. He has made decent swing decisions, I would say, but uh, only a 67% contact rate. Uh, not going to help you much on the bases. Um, just really, really tough to slot a guy like this who's got a like a 215 WRC plus in the big leagues right now and just no pedigree at all. Uh, we know that he's playing just way, way, way over his head. Uh, I don't think it's even a guarantee that he's like an everyday player for them, like on opening day next year. Um, so it's, it's tough, tough to slot a guy like this in. I was really uh, kind of bummed that he hadn't exhausted his prospect eligibility. Um, but fortunately he, he will have uh, for the one I, the first update I do in the off season, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he got like severely overdrafted next year. If, uh, you know, if he's going to cool down, obviously, Schneider, but if he doesn't cool down a ton, I just think he's going to get way overdrafted next year. Um, but I, I think in the short term, I'm more in than out because he's playing every day and he's hitting the middle of the lineup. So, like, I'll this is the time of the year where I'm all about riding the hot hand and hard to find a, a hotter hand than, than Schneider, unless we're talking about Marcelo Zuna or Royce Lewis. Um, Dwayne Topka, uh, who gets to the big leagues first, Wyatt Langford or Dylan Cruz, and is it in 2024? Definitely in 2024 for both Langford and Cruz, barring injury. Uh, I think they both could finish this season at AAA even. Uh, I know Cruz at AA, Langford's at high A. Like I think Langford will get promoted in like, 24 to 48 hours um, to, to double A. And then uh, I, I could see them both finishing the year triple A. Um, and as for next year, I think I just, it, it's tough. Cause I, I think Langford, it would make sense for Langford to beat Cruz to the majors. When you just kind of look at the incentives for these two teams, uh, obviously the Rangers are in extreme win now mode. The nationals are, I don't know what I would call what they're doing, but uh, 
they're not contending, obviously. I don't even think they'll kid themselves into contending next year. Um, so for the Rangers, like if you were going to call up Langford in June or something or July, to me, like you might as well just have him on the big league roster. Um, he has a chance at winning rookie of the year next year. Uh, they're trying to put their best uh, team on the field. Um, but there's a complicating factor of, you know, we know Adolis Garcia is going to play. Um, we know um, like Evan Carter probably beats Langford to the big leagues, or at least is there the same time as him. Uh, I think Leody Tavares should play for someone, even if it's not the Rangers. So it's, it's kind of crowded there. It's not crowded at all in Washington. Um, but I would, I don't know. I would kind of, I guess I would think that Cruz maybe is down until September um, just because they, I just don't like, I hate saying a team shouldn't have a guy in the big leagues based on merit. Um, but in these front offices, people are just absolutely ruthless. And all they think about is what's going to help them the most, not about what's going to help the player the most. And, you're clearly not contending anytime soon if you're the Nationals. So having Cruz under team control for as long as you possibly can, I think might factor in. Um, so I would say Langford. I think Langford's the better prospect. I think it's close, but um, I think he probably beats Cruz. HD, who is next year's Luis Matos? Uh, another awesome question. Uh, I think what he means by this is who will I be too low on on my prospect rankings based on a down year? Um, someone replied to this question with Drew Jones. Uh, I, I might be too low on Drew Jones, but I don't think he qualifies as being, uh, this year or next year's Luis Matos, because unlike Matos, he's never actually been good in pro ball. Uh, Matos was awesome in pro ball and then he was terrible for a year and then he went back to being awesome. So Drew Jones hasn't been good yet. So I don't think that that one necessarily fits, but maybe if you're just saying who will you, who will I look bad for having too low? Like if Drew Jones can kind of fix his swing um, during the off season, he could make me look bad for having him uh, outside the top 50. But I think some guys that maybe qualify for being next year's Luis Matos, uh, Brian Rocchio with the guardians, um, you know, I know Arm was uh, really down on Rokio's power potential when he was on. Uh, I'm I'm not ready to rule out Rokio being like a 20 homer guy yet, but uh, it doesn't look that promising. But I like the thing with Matos and why I think Rokio sort of fits here is uh, I was so high on Matos, so it like really it didn't feel good to be to have him too low, you know, like I to, to kind of have fallen for that one down year. So like, I will definitely be kicking myself if Rokio all of a sudden is just looking awesome in spring training next year. And I have him, you know, barely inside my top 100. Um, so I think he could be an option. A uh, couple guys I'm not, I've never really been that high on or relative to others i guess uh like i feel like i've always been higher than most on rokio for a while i was higher than most on matos uh, but like dalton rushing's had a pretty uh, underwhelming year i think for the dodgers 
Zach Veen, obviously um, injured, poor performance for the Rockies. Those guys have fallen enough of my rankings, um, but they've had good enough seasons in the past where I could see it looking like an overreaction to have them uh, as low as I have them right now. Uh, probably the easiest question of the, the whole show. Uh, F. Zamo says, giving up on Elijah Green, question mark. Uh, dropping him for someone like Jet Williams in Dynasty? Yes. <laughs> I mean, not wholeheartedly giving up on Elijah Green, but oh my God, yes. Like, First of all, it's not Dynasty if Jet Williams is available, but please, please drop Elijah Green for Jet Williams immediately. Um, I'd run to do that as soon as you hear this. Uh, Parker, what kind of upside does Brian Ramos of the White Sox have at his peak? Uh I'm going to say like 270 average, 25 to 30 homers, and everyday playing time because of his strong defense at third base. So maybe some people aren't going to be wowed by that as sort of like a, a peak um, projection, but everyday third baseman who hits for a higher average than, than the league and gives you a 25 plus homers, that's pretty valuable. Aaron Mullins, uh, or actually, no, I kind of, or well, I, I answered like part of this already, but um, he says, I, I know how much you love comps, but can you give me a range of outcomes for Wyatt Langford? And then when do you expect him and Evan Carter to debut? I kind of answered the debuting part, but uh, Langford, uh, I kind of think his ceiling is maybe like a 40 homer, 15 steal, everyday outfielder who hits around 280. Uh, he just hits, he hits the ball so hard, um, just barrels everything seemingly. And he's a good enough runner that I, I think the floor is maybe like 260, 30 homers, 10 steals. Like, you know, come on, this guy's, this guy's really good. Uh, really high ceiling and a really high floor for a guy with as few pro play appearances as Wyatt Langford has. Um, and also I, I found out today that it's, some it's like controversial in some parts of the internet to prefer Langford to Cruz. Uh, wild. Um, but I do prefer Langford to Cruz. And I think there's plenty of data to back that up for fantasy. Um, and then it, in terms of just when Carter and, and Langford debut, very, very challenging to predict that. Um, I think Carter probably gets a shot pretty early next year, if not on opening day. Um, I mean, maybe they move Leody to like fourth outfielder role. Um, maybe they trade him. Um, but I mean, Evan Carter's not someone they're going to leave in the minors for, for too long next season. And then I think, I think him and Langford could debut around the same time. Uh, Enrique, any chance George Valera is useful in 2024? I mean, I think his this is a huge offseason for Valera to kind of stick on the 40-man roster. I mean, he's it's been a lost year and then some for him. He's missed a bunch of time with injuries. He's been terrible when he's been out there. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Valera got DFA'd sometime um either in the off season or early next season he's on the 40 man he just doesn't seem like he's close to helping the big league roster um you know i think like i'd rather have chased a lotter in a draft and hold than george valera for next year 
Uh, Charles Finster, who's the next Guardians pitching prospect you think can move quickly through the system and make an impact in 2024, 2025? Are you high on Joey Cantillo? Um, I like Cantillo's stuff uh, quite a bit. Uh, he throws really hard for a lefty, um, like mid-90s. Um, just a question about durability and command for for him. I mean, that's kind of been the thing with him for a while. He struggles to stay healthy, struggles to throw enough strikes, but he's definitely my favorite Guardians prospect or pitching prospect to target for next year. He's at AAA. Um, I think there is some sneaky upside with him. Um, you know, Will Dion is kind of like a Logan Allen type of lefty with not that impressive of a scouting report, but he might just be able to make it work. Um, so he's kind of a, a deeper name if you're looking for a Cleveland Guardians pitching prospect. All right, uh, that's going to do it for me uh, this week. I'll be back with another episode next Wednesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.